The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello there, I'm Peter Strachan. Welcome to this edition of Stockhead's Rock Yarn. Mako Gold is an active exploration company with projects in the north of Côte d'Ivoire, towards the borders of Mali and Burkina Faso, which used to be known as Upper Volta. To update us on exploration work and operational plans for this year and beyond, we're delighted to welcome the company's managing director, Peter Ledwidge. Peter, how long has Mako been operating in Côte d'Ivoire? We actually listed in 2018 and, and uh, started uh, straight away on our flagship at uh, Napier project. We started drilling about a month after listing. So uh, uh, how many years is that? Uh, about four years now, a little bit more than four years, almost five. So you've, you've got to know the, the country. How did the company initially acquire this Napier permits and what work's been carried out and, and to what extent of the uh, resources so far have you uh, outlined? Well, um, we started. Uh, we actually started the company in uh, 2015 uh, after uh, the previous company we were working for, Orbis Gold, was taken over. And uh, we had a lot of success, and that was in Burkina Faso. So we actually started in Burkina Faso. Since then, uh, we made a discovery in Burkina Faso and, and sold it to Norgold a few years ago. Uh, so we only focus on Côte d'Ivoire. So when we were doing our IPO in, uh, uh, before 2018, we were looking for a project with uh, you know a bit more meat on the bones than what we had. And uh, Perseus, uh, we did a JV uh, with Perseus. Uh, they were busy putting uh, the Sisenge and, and subsequently the Yohe, uh, uh, uh projects into production. Um, so it was a good opportunity for us to get in. And, and since that time, we've consolidated that deal with Perseus and we have 90% ownership on the project. Uh, so we've been drilling furiously ever since then, I guess. Yeah. And, and what have you outlined there? What sort of, what's your estimated resources so far? Yeah. So we came out our maiden resource in June of uh, last year, and that was uh, 868,000 ounces at uh, uh, 1.2 grams per tonne. Uh, which, uh, you know, I've been working in that part of the world since the mid-90s. Uh, so I know what works and doesn't work in that part of the world. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, we, we call that uh, basically our proof of concept. And uh, so now the, the object is to grow that significantly. Yeah, so really it's good follow-up because what I wanted to ask was, other than following the diggings of artisanal workers, which is, you know, a lot of people do, the old blue tarpaulin anomaly, uh, what exploration tools has Mako been applying to uh, to exploration? Well, we've got a very seasoned exploration team. Uh, myself and and my wife and colleague of thirty years. Uh, uh, we've been we've both got well over thirty years experience, and and our our uh, people on the ground there have, have a lot of experience as well. So so there's no shortcuts to to uh, exploring. Uh, so we've done used all the proper tools, uh, airborne geophysics. Uh, that includes a, a, a mag, a radiometrics. We've we've also done some uh, ground uh, IP, uh, uh, air core drilling, uh, RC drilling, diamond drilling. Uh, if if the tools are out there, we're using them. Yeah. And uh, and and 
you know, with good success. So the, the geochemistry, which is your air core drilling, I guess, that enables you to cover a fair bit of ground to, to, before you come back with more detailed work. Yeah, actually, sorry, I, I forgot to mention auger drilling when you're talking about geochemistry. So so there was soils then, and some of that work actually Perseus had done, yeah. which is why we loved the project. You know, when we when we looked at it in 2017, it was a project that was begging to be drilled. Uh, they they basically done all the groundwork, and there was a couple of uh, uh, historic RC drill holes that both had gold in it. So so we were pretty excited when when we uh, did a deal on, on the project. Yeah, so um, yeah, we just finished. Uh, and I think we announced that in March, the final results of we finished a 25,000 meter auger drilling program that outlined some beautiful anomalies uh, on, on the project, which, you know, shows significant uh, growth potential. Yeah, so you've got some good targets there. So most listeners to this uh, podcast will know that the Gold Coast or Cote d'Ivoire is a good place to find gold. But what's the business environment like where you are? And is it a safe place in which to operate? Yes, it's actually very good. And I'm glad you asked that question because I was going to answer it even if you didn't ask it. You know, the elephant in the room. You had mentioned, you know, Burkina Faso and Mali. And and we've all seen those countries in the news. And and unfortunately, uh, you know, things are not going that well. Uh, I mean, there's still a lot of operators working there that I'm not pooing that by any means uh, but basically Burkina and and Mali have uh, kicked out the French security forces and then brought in the Russian Wagner group which uh, has not made an improvement as far as security goes uh, in my opinion it's actually worsened it in, in Burkina but that's just my opinion but we don't think that that kind of thing's going to happen and could do well because first of all they're a uh, wealthy country by African standards. Uh, people can go see uh, on my pr- the Mako's presentations. There's a picture of Abidjan, the largest city, and it's you can see high-rise buildings, that kind of thing. So basically, the the military and police force is well armed. So uh, terrorists are looking for a soft target. And the other reason is the geography is different. So once you go into uh, in northern uh, Cote d'Ivoire, there's a lot the vegetation's thicker, there's an agriculture, and it's not like driving around the middle of the outback, which is where they do uh, hidden runs out of Niger and Mali because they can, you know, just get in and cross the border sight unseen. So how are MAKO's projects located with respect to infrastructure, you know, power, water, transport, that sort of thing, as well as access to skilled labour? Uh, actually, it couldn't be better. Uh, so in our Napier project, uh, we've got a bitumen road that crosses the, the project. On that bitumen road is a hydroelectric line. And on the east side of, of the permit is is a river. So basically all the ingredients that you need to start up a mine. And then our Kohago project, our other project, is uh, located on, on the mining road with a, the with a hydroelectric line uh, that Barrick uh, uh, has within a stone's throw uh, after five million now in a Tongan mine. So excellent infrastructure there. Uh, couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah, it's worthwhile mentioning because I know people are often not aware just how well endowed these places are with you know good roads and, and good low cost power as well. So it's a better. A lot of people say better than operating in the gold fields in uh, Western Australia because you've got such good access. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, if you compare it to when we were with Orbis, we, uh, you know, we made three discoveries in three years, but one of them uh, became the Bungu mine, which uh, it became uh, led to the takeover of the company. And, you know, when uh, 
when we were, you know, starting this, doing the scoping study and, and that on, uh, uh, you know, on those studies, we would have had to build our own plant. And whereas if you look at Tiedo, that's in Cote d'Ivoire, along the same belt as we are, uh, you know, a couple of hundred kilometers down the road, but it was the only belt, uh, greenstone belt in West Africa that didn't have an operating mine. Uh, they just, uh, you know, uh, tapped into the local uh, hydroelectric uh, line. So look, on your permits now, the gold, how does the gold occur? And what sort of, I know you've said that the average grade is like 1.2, Peter, but I mean, what sort of variations do you get there? And, you know, the geometry of the mineralization, you know, how thick are the, you know, the sections or the shoots that come through? Yeah, well, we've had some uh, pretty incredible intersects uh, over the years and uh, that we've been drilling. Uh, and I, I make it sound like we've been drilling it for decades, but we haven't. Uh, but no, we've had some re- really nice intersects, you know, for example, for, uh, I'm trying to remember them. I haven't looked at them for a while, but 41 meters of four grams, uh, 28 meters at, you know, four plus grams, that kind of thing. Uh, so if, if people look back to our June, uh, I think it's uh, June 14th uh, ASX release of last year where we announced our maiden resource, they can go look at, at the, the uh, block models where you see there's uh, high-grade areas, uh, so basically little starter pits, and, and then it carries on the depth. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that as we move forward, we'll probably drive that, that uh, average grade up a little bit. If... And uh, if you look at Tiedo, you know, they, they got 3.8 million ounces of one gram, but they're still, what they're mining is, is uh, 1.3 grams. So, uh, uh, yeah, so we're not too concerned about the grade. We're actually working from a reverse model of uh, 100,000 ounces per annum for 10 years, which means you need a million ounces of reserves in order to get that, uh, 2 million ounces of, of reserves, which... Uh, you know, we think that we is totally achievable before the end of next year. And so, is the gold free milling? And what sort of recoveries have you seen in your um, metallurgical test work? Well, we've done uh, preliminary metallurgy uh, on the Chaga deposit. We did uh, bottle rolls, and and both the oxide and fresh rock came back, uh, averaging over ninety four percent recovery. So, so we know that we're not onto something that's refractory. So that's a, you know, we did that fairly early on, and and the reason for that, we've been in this business long enough. If if you've got a refractory problem, identify it early figured out can you fix it if you can't move on to another project so uh, so we covered all our bases there and um so do you can you get uh, chemical assays done in country or do the assays have to go out both actually so we actually use two two assay labs and that's uh, as as you know uh, in in the past uh, couple of years or so uh, turnaround times of assaying has been uh, uh, pretty slow in most places uh, uh, we're happy to say that our ISA turnarounds are, you know, three to four weeks. And so we use uh, one lab one lab in Côte d'Ivoire and, and then uh, we use another lab in Ghana, the neighboring country, and, and the prep work gets done in Côte d'Ivoire and then, and then, uh, the, uh, then that gets sent over to Ghana. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we use local as much as we can. Yeah, you're in a better situation than a lot of people working in Australia with that in that respect. What's the work program for Mako's Comboro project and how do you commercial how do commercial miners handle artisanal workers in the country, the people who are already on there digging around? Do you, do you offer them jobs or what's the, what's the status quo there? 
Okay, I think you just mentioned the Comboro project. I don't want to confuse our, our uh, listeners because yep. uh, uh, on on the Napier project, we have a Comboro prospect. And, and in addition to that, we have a Corogo uh, project. <laughs> Sorry. But as, as far as uh, labor, like we hire all local labor from the villages uh, to... Uh, to you know, just to work on the drills, uh, and and as uh, you know, the technical staff, uh, we use a hundred percent West Africans, and um, so and our key people, our key personnel, have been with us for uh, over ten years now. They're ex Orbis people that came and joined us as soon as we started up Mako. Uh, so the administration loves us. Uh, for example, the two two I see on our flagship Napgate project is a geologist that we hired fresh out of university about 10 years ago. And now he's a, he's a 2IC on the project. So so the administration loves the fact that we're, uh, you know, adding to the enriching the countries by educating people, you know, with with the Western Western standards of, uh, of uh, you know, good exploration and so on. Mako's program for 2023, both in gold and in your new manganese uh, project. What's the what's the program there, and and what what's the sort of news flow that we can expect through the June and September quarters? Well, there's going to be a lot of news flow actually because uh, we're uh, uh, we just finished a, ca- a capital raise, <clears throat> which will allow us to uh, start working again uh, straight away. So uh, we've already secured two RC rigs that are supposed to start uh, very shortly. There'll be an ASX announcement coming out quite quickly about that, and. <clears throat> And uh, so we're, we, as I mentioned, we did a 25,000 meter auger drilling program, you know, to narrow down the large soil anomalies that we have. We have a soil anomaly that's about 23 kilometers long along a 30 kilometer uh, shear on, on the project, uh, coincident. So we just finished that auger, uh, auger program in, uh, in March. And, and it's outlined, the object of that is we've got our two resources are, uh, Chaga and Gogbala. So, for example, Chaga is 545,000 ounces. So our mandate really was how many more footprints of Chaga is there on, on the permit? And we came up with 15 targets, probably uh, 10 of them or so, are at least as big as Chaga. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing uh, on the next round of drilling. We're going to do some white space drilling, RC drilling, on those new footprints identified and validating that there's gold there. And then all the investors can do their own back the envelope calculations and say, wow, you know, just on this little uh, area, you've probably got another half million ounces. On this one, you might have another million or so on. So it's all in our, you know, in our goal of getting, you know, three, four million ounces or more on, on the permit. So it's a sort of spoken hub thing where you've already got two sort of four or five hundred thousand ounce uh, resources and, and you're looking th- through those targets that you've developed to develop a sort of a string of pearls along the uh, the shear zone. Exactly. And uh, um, so so really, you know, it's an enviable problem to have, you know, where do you drill next? And, uh, you know, I've, I've said in some other, you know, talking to investors recently that, 
you know, some of the areas we have, you know, you talked about Comboro, uh, that's at the very north. It's a prospect at the very north of, of the Napier project. And, you know, we've got an area there, nine kilometers by nine kilometers, where we put in 21 RC drill holes on seven targets and six of the targets intersected gold. <laughs> so so we're, we're actually parking that for now. And, and we'll, uh, we'll do some more uh, uh, white, uh, sorry, narrower spaced auger uh, down the road. And uh, a lot of companies would like to have that just as their main project. And, and that's just like part of our project. You certainly get more value for your buck by adding gold to where you already got that sort of startup resource sitting there. Peter, can you just touch on the manganese project that you've uh, outlined as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're pretty excited about that. Uh, it's uh, as, as our geos were, were mapping, uh, it's on the Corogo project. Uh, there are uh, two permits uh, located uh, with uh, respectively between uh, 15 and 30 kilometers away of uh, Tongan's five, uh, Barrick's uh, 5 million ounce Tongan mine. And uh, we didn't we didn't peg the ground, you know, because of neurology sort of thing. We pegged it for its uh, geological merit. It's a greenstone granite contact along a major fault, and uh, so we uh, we did some uh, um, gold exploration on there, which included uh, airborne mag soils, uh, and then some auger. And <clears throat> and uh, while our uh, geologists were mapping, they noticed there's an awful lot of uh, uh, pyrolusite, which is a manganese uh, mineral, so a lot of uh, manganese uh, outcrops on there. And then as they were mapping, they, they realized, geez, it, it goes a long way. And so we started a rock chip program, a small rock chip program uh, sampling. And, you know, we took 22 samples over two parallel zones that are each seven kilometers long. And every single one of those 22 samples uh, return significant uh, manganese numbers, averaging 22% manganese, and uh, the highest was 33% manganese. So our, our listeners can go look at, you know, other manganese projects throughout the world, and uh, that's uh, there's a lot of mines operating at, at those grades, and and obviously manganese is is part of the EV revolution as well. So, Peter, just finally, Mako's got a market value of around $20 per ounce of gold in resources. Can you say what the usual multiple for resources of less than a million ounces in West Africa is? Is there some sort of back-of-the-envelope number that you're aware of? Yeah, yeah. So the average in, in West Africa is somewhere between $70 and, and $80 an ounce. Every CEO will tell you that they're they're undervalued, but, you know, I believe that we've got a pretty good base case for, for actually being uh, severely undervalued. So, Peter, you've raised a little bit of money. What's the funding standing up there now for your program for this year in your balance sheet? Yeah, so we're, as I, as I mentioned, we're just about to, to start, uh, you know, um, um, an RC drill program. So that'll fund that. It'll fund... Uh, uh, we'll be doing some uh, low-cost exploration on, on uh, our manganese project as well. Uh, don't forget there's a gold there as well. Uh, but but right now, you know, I think that the next step on that is, you know, maybe have a look at the metallurgy to see uh, uh, if it's uh, amenable, you know, for, for the EV space. And we already, we're already pretty confident that it would be, 
good for the steel because most manganese in the world is used for steel making. And the reason for that is is the phosphorus level in in our uh, uh, analysis came back very, very low. And in order to make steel, you have to have low phosphorus. So, so there's a lot of potentiality there. Peter, thanks for coming in to Stockhead today for this uh, rock yarn. Uh, looks like you've got a very active uh, six months ahead of you, uh, drilling out those new targets and expanding on your existing uh, resource situation. So uh, we'll watch out and hopefully by uh, September we'll have some big new numbers to report. Yep, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, well, we never sit in our hands. So uh, my, my pleasure being, being part of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for coming in.